We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Vay. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Nets Media Day. R.I.P. Matt Brooks. <laughs> Our guy uh, took a tough tweet today, but did some great work in the reporting area. And obviously, Media Day, first time we got to hear from Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving in the Nets facility in a very long time. Same thing for Ben Simmons and a lot of other guys. We're going to jump into some of the most important quotes, I guess, of the day. Before we do that, quick reminder, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, where do you want to start? Start with the heads of the organization, Nick. We'll go with Steve Nash, Sean Marks. We'll go with those guys before we get to KD Kyrie and some of the other players uh, as well. In terms of Steve Nash saying about the trade demand and the firing demand that Kevin Durant put in place, he said this, Steve Nash and Kevin Durant on wanting him fired. Kevin and I go way back. Families go through things like this. Now, the immediate reaction when I think you sent this to me, you know, obviously I was asleep as I was processing all this and went on Twitter to sort of and watch some YouTube videos was when did Steve Nash turn into Vin Diesel from Fast and Furious? But looking at this quote, I think this is kind of the response you expected from Steve Nash. You know, this is kind of what you would have anticipated if someone told you Kevin Durant was returning. What would Steve say on media day? This would probably be it. And they do have a long relationship. You know, they've known each other for a while. And I think Steve is a guy that can move on. You know, he's not going to typically be one to hold a grudge. At least it doesn't seem that way on the outside looking in. So pretty expected response from Steve. Yeah, look, I, I don't really care. But it doesn't necessarily mean that Kevin Durant still wants him to be the head coach. doesn't necessarily mean things that are all hunky-dory, but they're hunky-dory enough for now. He did mention multiple times they had chats. So I thought that was something positive that, you know, they had talked and kind of moved on from there and – you know, Steve was still, you know, giving him a lot of compliments in terms of Kevin and the work that he's put in this summer and even recently at the facility. Yeah, I mean, if you want to make a comparison point, like James Harden and Kevin Durant were hanging out at Travis Scott concerts and yeah. were, were besties after what we saw from Kevin Durant during the All-Star draft and sort of yeah. being as shady as, as, as Kevin Durant has ever been. So, you know, people's memories, you know, you don't, you, you forgive and forget as, as the old saying goes, but. In terms of Sean Marks, a couple of quotes I wanted to bring to you that to respond to. And next, GM Sean Marks on Kevin Durant's it's trade request. If he wanted out and he still wanted out, he wouldn't be here. And he also said, first and foremost, I'm not his boss. We're partners. That second one, I also think is one that you sent me, was an interesting one. And I think is indicative of what we saw from the press release from the Nets team and the fact that KD's and um, the what's the uh, boardroom uh, had their signature on the the press release basically. So it seems to me that there is that sort of negotiation, that give that we're getting from the organization that we'd sort of been clamoring for from both sides. So not the at least the the latter thing. It it, it seems to me that we're getting a little bit more out of Sean Marks and what he sort of said about Kyrie Irving as well, which is something worth discussing in a little bit, but. I don't mind this. Yeah, I like the statement of if he wanted out and still wanted out, he wouldn't be here. And if you saw the video clip of that, Sean said that very directly. You know, it was kind of almost stern in a way where I was like, okay, Sean, like that's 
that's a good response right there, especially for someone who hasn't necessarily had, you know, the best pressers over the course of this offseason or the, at least at the beginning of the offseason. And and the other comment, the partnership, you know, we alluded to that. We thought it was a pretty big deal. They had the boardroom logo on the initial statement that Kevin Durant was returning. And then also, I think it just goes to signify that, like, KD is going to probably actually have a say in a lot of things in this organization moving forward is the you know not to jump ahead but one of the main reasons kevin talked about requesting a trade was the stability of the organization and the direction in which they were going and i think him having more of a say or more involved in that you know situation is going to give him more confidence in what happens moving forward yeah i think it was also accountability was one of yeah. the keys he also mentioned too but we'll get into that after we get into this quote again from sean marks in relation to Kyrie irving he said at the end of the day, we're happy that Kyrie is back here, listening to his press conference that he had this morning. And my takeaway from that is that he's committed. It seemed to me that this it was a subtle dig. In, in Look, if you're taking away from just the quote, obviously you've watched Kyrie Irving's press conference in full, and I've seen uh, bits and pieces of it as well as a, a heap of quotes. I think that that's and he also talked about you know we'll get to like you know him sort of talking about his his vaccination status affecting his contract and such, but. This here seems to me that like Sean Mark is, is being a bit more of the boss and sort of being Joe Sy's mouthpiece in a way because we know how Joe Sy feels about the vaccinations and everything that sort of happened with Kyrie Irving there. But look, it seems that Kyrie is committed and look, it, I, I, what do you He's think? He's saying all the right things. Kyrie said all the right things today and he even said something along the lines of like, we're all here saying the right things. We have to put it together on the court. And obviously... He's a component of that. I think you could look at this remark from Sean Marks as a dig at Kyrie, or you could look at it in the sense of just just reacting to his press conference because obviously he was here. He was committed, and he was saying all the right things. And he also, I thought Kyrie took a little bit of accountability. So I think Marks could even be trying to give him a pat on the back, or you could view it as a dig. It's obviously very hard to know in terms of how that relationship is. What is it called, Nick? Is it the compliment sandwich, the insult sandwich, or something? Where yeah, it's just yeah, like, you give a compliment, an insult, and then a compliment. Yeah, so like, and it's just, or it's like negging for or whatever. So like, look, who who knows? But all we really care about is how Kyrie plays basketball, and hopefully he plays a lot of basketball for the next this season. And again, Getting they to- both talked. Sorry, Jack, to cut you off. They both talked about Kyrie being committed by show showing up this summer. You know, being at the facility this summer and showing more involvement in you know being here. So. You know, I think we're going to talk about Kyrie in a second. We are. We'll get to KD first, though, because he was the one that was first up on the ranks talking about a a lot of stuff and throwing some reporters under the bus, including our very own on Blue Wire, uh, Matt Brooks. But he said in relation to a lot of just, I guess, the reasoning behind the, the trade requests and the trade demands, he said, the Nets could have fought through adversity more as a group. Mentions that the Warriors and the Mavericks are examples of doing that. He says that the lack of fight from Brooklyn was a reason why he had doubts about staying with the Nets. As one of his reasons, Nick, do you agree, disagree? Do you think that maybe it's somewhat hypocritical from Kevin Durant in, in, in some form or fashion, given the fact that you're not fighting, but you're choosing to flee and you're not fighting You know, in the series against Boston? It seemed to me that he... You know, the quotes that we got, and we don't know how verified they were, is that he'd given up by game one or game two. I understand where he's coming from, but I also think that you know it requires a bit of a look in the mirror as well because I think he fought a lot during the regular season, but come the postseason where it started to matter, it's it, that's where we started to see Kevin Durant wane a little bit in in that adversity, in that fighting spirit. Yeah, I think you could call it hypocritical, like you said. You know, obviously you're complaining about people not fighting and then you're not wanting to fight. I think more of it it would be self-awareness of you are, you know, the best player on this team. There is some level of leadership you have to take, even if you don't want to and you're not that type of guy. So I think, you know, some of that could even almost be a dig at himself for his lack of leadership. Or maybe that's kind of signifying that the Nets needed that. And I also think trying to read a little deeper and knowing some of the things we know, I think it probably some of it is like, the coaching staff not holding players accountable or probably being a little too nice. You know, based off of last year, there was a little bit too much, quote unquote, positivity from Steve Nash, like too much happiness or like, you know, enjoying negative things and like saying we're learning like, no, this is a team to win a championship. And I think you can see some of the reasoning by how, why Kevin was upset after this previous season and then also how some of that led to his decision. And we're going to jump into that and probably the next quote. 
Yeah, there's a couple of quotes. And I think just to piggyback off what you said just quickly, you know, compare that to MA Udoka. Look, we're not a, check out the Celtics. I have another Celtics pods on the Blue Wire Network for discussion of that. It's but nice it's, to hear uh, somebody else have to deal with some off-court disaster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But in terms of personality types you alluded to in terms of holding people accountable, being a bit more not so lovey-dovey, you know, yeah. hug, hug on the back, but a bit more of a like, you know, a slap in the face, let's get shit going. That's what Ima Yudoka did, yep. calling out Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Now, who knows what his future is? But speaking, getting back to Kevin Durant, that account. It feels like, sorry, get, just a jump on that point. It feels yeah, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Nets never really replaced that voice. And Amay, it sem- seemed like he did that with the Nets the previous season, and that was kind of his role. And obviously, we know he did a lot of game planning as as well. So it's like the Nets needed to replace that. They needed to replace that like toughness and accountability. We talked about that a lot too when they lost Jeff Green. Jeff Green was a guy that constantly was like, "Hey." Like, get your shit together. Like, we need to be better. And he was willing to call out one through 15. The Nets are missing that. Maybe yeah. Mark Keith Morris could, you know, step up a little bit in that role. Or maybe it's on Steve Nash to just take more of a prowess as a coach. Like, dude, you were a Hall of Fame point guard. You've done great things. You can yell at your players. Yeah. And we've heard some like a hole tendencies that he's had in his playing days and such. You know, that sort of. He, Real, I, I did not. I used to, I don't want to say dislike Steve Nash, but obviously rooting for the Nets, I was a huge Jason Kidd fan. And like you wanted to see Jason do well and him be the best point guard. And obviously Steve was that guy for a lot of the the later segment of, you know, um, Jason Kidd's career. So it was like he kind of definitely rubbed some people the wrong way when he played. Obviously, he's very lovey-dovey off the court, but he definitely had a little a-hole to him when he played. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that you know, he hasn't brought that as much into his coaching career. He's been more of a an empathetic character and personality, and I think he needs to sort of balance and, and get things right this season. But with Kevin Durant, he alluded to the accountability. He said he wanted everybody on the nest to hold themselves accountable and be accountable for their level of play. He cited the losing streak when he got hurt and says that we shouldn't have been losing all those games. I agree with him on that. I, I think that that is totally warranted, and it probably was a reason why you know, James Harden was out the door and it, and it kind of alludes to the next quote that we'll get into. But I think the accountability there is is totally warranted from, from KD. And I also think this alludes to something else we learned, you know, after the trade of James Harden's behavior with the team and staying late in cities and partying and, you know, missing practices and all those different things. Like, and the team essentially allowed Harden to do that, I would assume, based off of some of these quotes. So I think you look at that and you're like, wow, this team doesn't have control, you know, and like we talked about over the summer, they probably, they went from having no control and then trying to put like, you know, essentially, you know, chains on everybody and kind of keep them intact and doing exactly what they want them to do. So this makes sense to me in terms of the accountability. And even Kyrie was asked about this a little bit. And I think it, it, uh, it kind of talked about everyone on the team. I don't think it's even just one specific guy. I think at times there just wasn't accountability, but that also gets to what we talked about with the missing personality of Ame Udoka and not having that guy that's going to call everyone out when they're not hustling. And on that losing streak, they lost to some terrible teams and they had some talented players playing and they just didn't show up. No, absolutely. And no, I think that's one thing. Katie during the regular season, as I alluded to, could not be you know, criticized for in any stretch of the imagination. He also added this one, Nick. I think this is the big one that everyone's going to be talking about in terms of the trade request. He said, it was a lot of uncertainty around our team last year. I came into this organization for four years last summer with the idea that we're going to be playing with that group. Now, that group being Katie, Kyrie, and James Harden. Some people have construed that as being, well, he did, Kyrie wasn't signed because of his vaccination status. James Harden wasn't signed. I wanted to be uh, alongside my brothers in this ride. Now I'm the only one here. Now now Kyrie's not even playing. James Harden's out in Vegas partying. He's he's putting up dud performance against, against the Sacramento Kings. I get where he's coming from to an extent, but I it, he does he's not doing himself a heap of favors in terms of being like the the guy who wants to be alongside the sort of super team at the same time. Yeah, I think. Kevin Durant is very reactionary sometimes and the way that last season ended and them not looking anything close to being a championship level team and there being so many question marks about Ben Simmons and then the possibility and the reporting of the Nets could, you know, they are willing to lose Kyrie Irving this summer. Like that took, that would have taken the team another tier lower and then Ben still being a question mark. Then you're really saying like, is this a playing team and I have to play 40 minutes? So it doesn't look, great the way he worded it but i think if the nets were to have replaced james harden and ben simmons were to have played and the nets have, would have gotten knocked out in the eastern conference finals or a crazy second round or something like that 
Kevin Durant probably doesn't request a trade. But in all honesty, looking at that team and all those question marks, and if they had lost Kyrie, it's like how much does this team really care about winning? You know, win, you know, winning is my religion. And obviously it didn't seem that way this summer. So I can kind of understand some of the points from KD. The wording isn't great here. But also I think there has to be a level of acknowledgement from Kevin Durant is like Kyrie Irving is a big reason that you guys are still not playing together because if Kyrie was vaccinated, good chance James Harden's probably still in Brooklyn. Not sure last season goes well, but they're all three of them are probably under contract or Harden's being signed and traded, you know, this past summer. He's he's never doing that. I, I, I hear what you're saying and I, I agree pretty pretty much fully with it, but that's never going to happen with, with Kevin Durant and, and, and Kyrie Irving in terms yeah. of their relationship and friendship. But... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One thing I will say is a lot of people also interpreted this, Nick, or construed it as being a subtle dig at Ben Simmons. Do you think that people are sort of clutching at straws a little bit there, or do you think that there's a sense of validity to it? I think it could be an objective dig in the sense of Ben Simmons has never played at the level of James Harden. You know, obviously James last year wasn't great, but the half season before he was playing at an MVP level and he's done things that Ben Simmons has never done. You know, Ben Simmons has never been a top 10 player in the NBA. He still has to get there, and I'm not sure if he ever will. And I think that's that's fair to question, you know, but I think probably some of the other moves that Sean made along the lines made Kevin Durant feel more comfortable. Maybe, hey, Ben's not a superstar. He's still an all-star level player that can fill in a lot of needs, but he's not that potential player James Harden could have been next to me and Kyrie, especially with what we saw in that Boston series. I think the previous year, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think to make a golf track that just uh, very quickly – to make a comparison point between James Harden and Ben Simmons right now heading into the 22-23 season, you can make an argument that they are in the same or similar tiers of player. James Harden, I think, isn't going to be anything higher than a second-team All-NBA player. I don't think Ben Simmons is going to be anything higher than a third-team All-NBA player. Now, the ceiling of James Harden this season, I think, is top 10. I think the ceiling of Ben Simmons is 15 to 18, more realistically, 20 to 25. Both all-star caliber players pushing for contention in the All-NBA sort of respects. Now, if Kevin Durant sees that and sees Ben Simmons, you know, play at the level that we want him to be, he hopes to be. There were some great things that he said on the, um, the JJ Redex podcast as well. Then maybe that films fills, fills him with a little bit more confidence that I'm sure more fans are having. And there are people that have become Ben, Sim- ben Simmons skeptics turning into Ben Simmons believers in a matter of 24 hours. And and I'm part of that. You know, I, I love seeing him be forthright. I still think that, you know, uh, words words are cheap in comparison to actions and all the actions I want to see of, of Ben Simmons are 65 games of quality defense, playmaking, scoring, and, and everything else that comes with what he can do as a player, as a, as a true unicorn in the way that he plays basketball. But that's just a, a little thing, a little tangent that I wanted to bring up, Nick. Yeah, and I think that tangent will carry for the next couple seasons. And I think, you know, not to take a shot at Kevin Durant, but he's, you know, been reactionary and emotional at times. And I think it's easy to kind of forget who Ben is. And Ben hasn't played and he still has to come back and prove all that. But if he's on the court and playing really, really well the first couple of weeks, I think he will forget about that. And then you talk about this season. I think you look at the course of the rest of Kevin Durant's contract, you know, halfway through at least Ben will probably be the better player 
you know, in terms of him versus James Harden, unless, you know, Ben never gets back to what he can be. But I, I really loved, you know, Ben on the podcast and what he did today. It just seems like he's really, I don't want to say grew up, but it's just like you have sometimes a revelation when you're in your mid twenties about like understanding who you are. And it feels like he feels a lot better where he's at mentally. And when you're feeling good mentally, it allows you to kind of get the full capabilities of what you can do. Yeah, I think that that's the the number one sort of thing. You know, I've sort of said that I've said time and time again on this podcast, if Ben Simmons is okay mentally, everything physically is going to take care of itself. And, you know, knock on wood that he seems to be in a a pretty good space mentally, which makes me happy just for a fellow human being out there. Now, Nick, we alluded to Matt Brooks being eased by Kevin Durant, (laughs) fairly or unfairly. I'll put this out there. So Matt Brooks tweeted out this. He said, Kevin Durant on whether he'll put in another trade request if the Nets struggle. He said, I don't feel like I've got to prove anything to Nets fans after three years. I'm committed to move forward with this team. If you've got doubts, that's on you. We can discuss that quote because that's the next quote I was actually going to bring up. But Kevin Durant wasn't the biggest fan of how Matt Brooks worded that or tweeted it, whatever. He said, this shit here is why I don't like talking to lames like you. This isn't the question he asked. But you love engagement on Twitter, so you will twist shit up. Now, we love Matt, and, and, and Matt isn't really a guy that goes for sort of Twitter likes and, and clicks. He's a guy that puts out great content uh, above all else. But uh, uh, thoughts on the quote, Nick? Thoughts on Kevin Rand's response in, and just everything else in between? Yeah, I think transcribing a presser is extremely difficult to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, like you said, Matt typically never – does anything like this. And I think he reported a lot of great stuff today and reported a lot of great stuff in the past. So, you know, I think he just missed probably the last sentence. And I think Kevin Durant's probably upset about that because it kind of leaned it more into making him Kevin Durant looking more negative with this section of the quote, not including the full section. So I understand his dismay. And obviously when you're quote unquote part of the media, (laughs) this is just kind of what's going to happen, especially if you don't get, the message conveyed in which the player wanted conveyed with what they said. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, you know, regardless if it's right or wrong, it's just like Kevin Durant was trying to convey a certain message and he doesn't feel like that was uh, reported properly. Uh, I think that's fair enough on his account. And it's, uh, two things can, I think one thing that's always hard for people on social media and maybe life in general is that two things can be true at once. You know, Matt probably could have included a little bit more, but there's only 280 characters at the same time. So, look. And transcribing uh, is hard, dude. <laughs> it is. It is. We love KD. We love Matt Brooks. But the quote itself, Nick, and I guess the general context around it about KD's got nothing to prove, you know, it's on us, you know, and I think who else reported? I think Chris Mulholland. No, it wasn't that one. Yeah, it was It was Chris Mulholland's this one. I feel like I don't need to prove anything to Nets fans. I'm committed to moving forward with this team. So Chris sort of tweeted something similar, but you know, not as, I guess, clickbaity. I don't know, however you want to sort of put it. Do you think, uh, and this might have even been a question that was put forward to us in a mailbag in months and months ago. Does Kevin Rand have anything to prove here, Nick? You know, obviously, two Nets fans in particular. We can focus, on, I guess, on the Nets side of things there because we know what Kevin Rand is. You know, you know who I am. I'm Kevin Rand, blah, 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 blah. But in terms of as a Brooklyn Net, the most recent thing to make the argument, I guess, against Kevin Durant, and I'm not really good at that because I'm a big Kevin Durant fan. The last iteration of Kevin Durant proving himself to Nets fans was a probably one of his poorest postseason series yeah. in his individual career. So I think that he, he might have something to prove to an extent, but also game four was the game where he's just like, okay, this is what I really am. I can deal with this defense sort of here. So again, I'm trying to be as objective and I don't want to get Kevin Durant to find the link to our podcast and and get angry at me because, you know, he he liked me or he liked a tweet of mine once. So I want to be on his good side. But no, in saying that, what do you think about Kevin Durant's proving it to Nets fans? Yeah, I think it's there's like degrees to it. Like he doesn't have to prove to the level of player he is. You know, we've seen that. And even though he didn't have a great postseason, you alluded to it multiple times, like he carried the Nets throughout the regular season, gave us our most memorable postseason since the Nets championship, run, not champion, finals runs they made in the early 2000s. So, like, you you have to take account for that. I think the way in which he went about some of the stuff with the trade request can still rub Nets fans wrong, and there's always going to be a little bit of doubt until you see him deal with adversity, until the Nets go on a four-game losing streak and, you know, bounce back, or, you know, you see him doing some of these other things in the court, or 
until the year's finished out and the Nets are doing something successful in the playoffs. Like, there's going to be a little bit of doubt, but that's also just the NBA. Like, when you're dealing with a lot of superstars, just some guys are more likely to ask for trades than other, and that's always going to kind of be a concern in the back of your head if you are if you don't have a great team. And it seems, you know, Kevin Durant says he doesn't care what people think, but it's pretty clear that he wants to win another championship at minimum, if not multiple championships. And he feels at some point during his time here that the Nets aren't good enough or they're not going to be at that point, he might request another trade. So I can understand it kind of from both sides. Well, he is a fan of what Sean Marks did, Nick, and yeah. giving him the chance to do that. He said, I do like what Sean put together with the team this summer. Now, I think that that sort of illuminates a couple of things because we've sort of heard Kevin Durant, the GM, before, and I think that that's fair with certain moves that relate pertain to Marcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, the two that come to mind. But this offseason was mainly Sean. Yeah. It was, I mean, there wasn't really anybody committed to the team other than a whole bunch of role players, essentially, in Ben Simmons. So Sean Marks did some good things. You know, we we have made uh, jokes about the wing comment that Kevin Durant had during the finals, but Sean went out and got wings. He went out and got a modern NBA roster, got a little bit younger. Well, I, uh, uh, Doug Norrie from Locked on Nets put out like a crazy stat uh, a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was a week or two ago about like the Nets playing so many players either over 32 or like under 24 or something. And that took majority of the minutes. And I think the Nets found a lot more balance with this current roster in which they have. And I think a lot of us would say this is probably the most well-built roster the Nets have had in the last three seasons. Maybe not most talented, but most you know, designed to be functional and have depth and adapt to different challenges you'll face throughout the season and the postseason. Yeah, speaking of age demographics, I need to get away to shout out my Geelong Cats on this podcast. They have been, they've proved themselves as the oldest AFL team in history <laughs> and on grand final weekend and won the big dance, won the premiership. So age is but a number, Nicholas. And Kevin Durant is in his early 30s. Kevin Durant heading into his 30s. Ben Simmons still young. Paddy Mills, obviously Seth Curry. A lot of these guys, TJ Warren, Markeith Morris. Age don't mean shit. You know, the, the Geelong Cats, my team, my love, my second love, certainly proved that. My third love behind, obviously, my lovely and loving girlfriend. But in, in saying that, Nick, any other KD, Shaw Marks, before we get to probably what a lot of people have been tuning in for, uh, Kyrie Irving and some of his quotes? Yeah, no, I thought um, Sean Marks did a nice job today, I thought, with a lot of his, you know, responses. Kevin Durant was as expected. You know, he he's not one to love media day. <laughs> so uh, I wasn't really surprised. I thought he was I thought we got a little bit more clarity on some things. Obviously, we're not going to get the full level of detail, but I'd say as an overall theme that there was a little bit more honesty than I in- anticipated. I thought there would be a little bit more of, oh, it's not that bad. You know, it was just kind of overreported where they kind of like, admitted to things even Sean Marks never denied the fact that Kevin Durant wanted him and Steve Nash fired you know they they kind of took everything head on and you know a lot of people on Twitter were saying like this could be a, a growing point for the team you know having those tough conversations and being grown-ups could be exactly what they needed to be successful with this group of guys yeah this could be the situation that 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 springs forth you know true success for the Nets that they've been searching for for the last couple of years with Kevin yeah. Durant and Kyrie Irving James Harden for for a certain period of time. But speaking of Kyrie Irving, Nick, the number one quote that has been doing numbers, you know, Wilt Chamberlain numbers, if anything, is this one. Kyrie Irving, I gave up four years, 100-something million to be unvaccinated. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, it's sad. It's sad, but it's not, you know, surprising that this was the one that was the big headline. I thought Kyrie said some, some good things today, but... Obviously, the vaccination stuff is really going to carry with him until the Nets, until probably his career is over for the most part, you know, unless the Nets have some crazy success. But even I was thinking in my head, if the Nets win a championship, someone would probably be like, wow, if Kyrie got vaccinated, I'd probably have two, you know? So it's it's always going to kind of be something that's brought up. I think Kyrie's annoyed with at this point. He understands, you know, what had happened. He thinks at times he was unfairly represented, and other times he kind of understands it. But at the end of the day, it's the past. It is what it is. I think to an extent he understands now more what he did than he did in real time. And with, especially with all the money in which it costs him. And he talked about, you know, having a family and making decisions that were, you know, right for everyone. So that that's all I got on the vaccine stuff. I'm ho- hopefully not having to talk about it much the, the rest of the season. 
Look, Nick Fidel's still there, Nick. So <laughs> it'll, it'll Don't you know up. him and Kyrie are going to be best friends now? Apparently. Oh, gosh. Um, just give one of us his media media passes, please. Uh, um, but in, I'm, in I'm saying that, so, like, I could just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. My last name starts with the F initial too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Nick Fidel. Yeah, it sort of goes there. But in in saying that, not to get all existential and, and and such, but you know, we're we are our choices. We are as much our choices in our actions. And Kyrie's choice, you know, and he has to live with that. And and you know, despite the fact that he might be upset with what happened in the off season and, 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 and the rest of it, he made that choice and, you know, he's not some sort of martyr for doing so, but you know, it's the sacrifice that he chose to make and he's living with it and good luck to him. But on, in terms of relating to the off season, he said, if he was close to leaving the, the Brooklyn Nets, he said, yeah, there were options, but not many because of the stigma of whether or not I wanted to play or whether or not I'm committed to the team, which I thought was really unfair at times. I, I hear where he's coming from in terms of just when he's out there, he shows a level of commitment and you know, he, he he's always suiting up. He's going to practices and stuff. But at the same time, he's, you look at his availability, not for non-basketball reasons. You know, He's taking time off. Some of that might be mental health stuff, so I'm not going to besmirch that in any stretch of the imagination. But the choice to prioritize being unvaccinated to being available for the team, look, to make a comparison point, you know, it seems to me that, and, and we got this news uh, quite a while ago, there were people that were hesitant within the Brooklyn Nets organization themselves to get vaccinated. I think KD was, and there was Andrew Wiggins, obviously. He chose to make that choice, so it looked like he wasn't committed to the team. It, you can put two and two together and, and put those things together as well. So I don't, you can question Kyrie's commitment, but I think you can. You can maybe question his commitment, but he sort of prioritized things in a certain way, and and that's just that's just how it was. Yeah, I mean, he takes you know his life decisions over his basketball decisions, and I think, like you kind of alluded to, Jack, that's a choice. And for your choices, people can decide how they want to react to them. That you you're not in control about what other people think, and yeah, you might think it's unfair, but to them, it might be fair because at the end of the day, the NBA is a business. Availability is a huge factor. And not having a consistent star player who's taking a large chunk of your salary cap is going to have a negative impact on your team if he's not there. So, and obviously, it doesn't help in the way in which he's portrayed in the media, especially over the course of the last two years. You know, I think Katie even had a comment like the season before Kyrie played the most games out of the big three. You would have never known that based off of how everything was reported that season, you know, with him obviously taking time off, you know, going to his sister's birthday. Then obviously, he took time off for the birth of his child, I believe. And then people, you know, viewed that negatively because they didn't have that type of information. So I think there's two sides of every story, but at the same time, everyone's entitled to their opinion and a business is a business and there just has to be certain factors. And that's just the way the world works. You know, I think sometimes when I listen to Kyrie talk, he just hates the way the world works. But at the end of the day, you're just not one person is going to change that. And everyone can be upset with certain things because it's about money and you know what I mean? It's not like the, the businesses around the world are trying to make sure that you're happy. Everything, everyone's trying to do something for a dollar. Yeah. And look, I think Kyrie, if anything, Kyrie Irving is part of the reason why things could change because of I, I, some of his entrepreneurship and his, his, his ability to just speak up and make his voice heard his, his general charisma, you know, the people are drawn to, to Kyrie Irving beyond you know the, the basketball stuff so i think Kyrie irving is has made a big difference in the world and when it comes to basketball stuff there are some things bigger than him as you alluded to nick but he said that um, and this is probably related I'll, I'll put these two things together he said that this season was and you might need to get the beat button ready but i'm just gonna say it anyway he said this season was a clusterfuck this off season was a clusterfuck uh, and he also said in relation to kevin Durant's trade request it was on kev from the beginning i honored his trade request and understood it there's been a lot of uncertainty in this building for the last couple of years we spoke on what Kevin Durant said in relation to the group and, and, and obviously Kyrie being a part of that. Kyrie Irving says he was on Kevin Durant. Could we put two and two together and say that Kyrie Irving not being re-signed, despite what all of them might say, just putting two and two together, reading between the lines. We don't necessarily need to hear the direct quote Kevin Durant saying, yeah, if Kyrie Irving was re-signed, I, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't have made that trade request. Can we you know, sort of... Con- and even if you want to take a step back from that and say the Kevin Durant would have been okay if Kyrie had left, if they were able to replace his talent with a person of that talent level, 
Yes, I that's that's like a point that a lot of like of people were trying to make uh, over over the summer. They were trying to make a point that Kevin Durant didn't care about the Kyrie stuff, which is just a lie. Even if he doesn't care about Kyrie, he still cares about the talent on the team. If they were to lose him, they were still going to lose their second best player and the reason that they have a chance to win any game because they have two of the greatest scorers in the world. So I, that's kind of been our train of thought the entire summer. I think this is kind of even more clarity on it. Yeah, exactly. And look, we don't need to keep rehashing things, so we'll move on to, on to the next thing. Kyrie Irving said this on the Boston Celtics sweep. He said it was one of the most first times I've been embarrassed leaving the court. Look, he, Kyrie Irving, I think, looking at his postseason performances, it's it's weird. It's the, the peak and pinnacle of the shot against Golden State. And then he had some pretty poor postseasons in Boston. And with the Nets, obviously... The most recent thing is is what we've got to sort of surmise on. He had the peak of game one, which was pretty incredible. And then the rest of his series was was pretty lackluster as well. So it's I think if Kyrie Irving can bridge the gap between his worst and his best, that can like take away things. So it's like even though Kevin Durant was pretty awful in a lot of the games, he still exerted the effort and was still a presence on the court just by being Kevin Durant. Whereas Kyrie Irving was almost in you know, games two to four, probably most um, strikingly. When Kyrie Irving wasn't didn't have the ball in his hands, he was unforgotten. Yeah, I think in that goes to Kevin Durant. Even not playing well, he was still having a great impact because you could understand the reasoning and why he wasn't playing well in terms of the way the Celtics committed so many bodies to him. So that was huge. And Kyrie also had a comment today that he went back and looked at his postseason history and he watched film on his different series and, you know, wants to be better, you know, wants to kind of take accountability for some of that. And like you said, you know, saying you were embarrassed by being swept, like, I love to hear that because obviously you were like, this is your former team and they just cooked you guys. And like, they didn't actually didn't even cook them. They just beat them by a, essentially a couple points every single game. So you guys lost the games because you didn't play at a high level and there was opportunities for you to be better and have more of an impact. So hopefully he really took that time and took the accountability to understand, like you said, Jack, finding a level of consistency in the postseason would be huge for him. Even in the times, some of the other you know series, I think in that Boston series, there was games where he didn't score a lot and then other games where he went off. You know, Some of that is having a big three, but some of that is just the the characteristics in which he's had in different postseasons. Yeah, definitely. Any other? I know you watched in full, Nick, the the Kyrie Irving uh, presser. Was there anything else you wanted to bring before we get to to Ben Simmons and some of the role players? It seemed like he's taking a step forward in terms of accountability. Obviously, and he even said that he said all the right things, but it's all about putting it together. So hopefully that's the case. I thought he had some nice things to say about Ben Simmons and his revolve in terms of just like fighting through things. And he said, whatever greatness, you know, is destined for Ben, he's trying to achieve that. And I think that's a pretty great compliment to say about somebody. So uh, I'm interested. That was a, a low key storyline that I've been super intrigued and thinking about for the last couple of weeks is what is the relationship between Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons? And part of me thinks that it's starting to grow because Ben alluded to Kyrie multiple times today as Kai. And obviously that shows you that they've discussed some things or there's some some type of relationship there. So I'm hoping those two can really hit it off. And even Kyrie talked about trying to take some of the pressure off Ben and allowing him to kind of be like the best version of himself or helping him get to his point of greatness. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing here, but it felt like Kyrie was kind of almost taking Ben under his wing a little bit like we've seen him do in the past with other younger players. And what Ben is 25, 26 years old. So makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he, he called like you know Ben the sort of big guard, and yeah, you know, both of the, both of these guys are Aussies, you know, by yeah. by birth anyway. Um, so you know maybe there's a bit of a kinship there uh, as well in terms of their roots. But I, I also just think that one thing I will never besmirch Kyrie Irving about is him as a teammate. Yeah, every single guy that plays with Kyrie Irving freaking loves him. Whether it's in Boston, whether it's in Cleveland, if you're Aman Shumpert, if you're Jason Tatum, if you're Marcus Smart, if you're David Duke Jr., every if you're Cam Thomas, everyone loves playing with Kyrie Irving because he's just full of wisdom. He seems to be a cool dude, and you know, being alongside him as a coworker, let alone as a mate, you can just imagine, you know, calling Nick Claxton the young alchemist, all these sort of things. He just has a this energy that is just great for, and I think it sort of makes up for something that Kevin Durant lacks in terms of just that 
the, the positive vibrations. It's and like the, lovingness as a person, just like yeah, he, he just sort of oozes that, despite the fact that some of his actions don't necessarily back that up. I'd, I'd love to play with, if I was a basketball. I'd love to be on a Kyrie Irving team because it just seems to me that the vibes would be really good. And Ben Simmons think they're very good as well, Nick, because he said he was playing. He's been playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving all league all week, and says that it looks quote incredible. Yeah, he said it loud too. He said it with like a lot of confidence. I was like, okay, Ben. So uh, that's great that they've been playing all week and trying to get you know some chemistry together. Not sure as much about the relationship between Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons. Maybe that's something that'll evolve throughout the year. I think for that relationship to grow in my eyes, it's going to be on the court. You know, that's how you really earn Kevin Durant's respect. Is if you go out there and ball out and do your thing. There's just going to be a couple possessions where I can envision where Katie's just going to be hyped because Ben's going to lock somebody down and just put the clamps on them, and that's going to excite him. And I, like I talked about before, I think it's very easy to forget who Ben is, and also Ben has to show that he can get back to that level. Yeah, I, that's what I was going to allude to as well, the fact that it's easy to get along with Kyrie Irving, but I think Kevin Durant is a, is a different kettle of fish. bit older, a bit more... He just, he's, a, he's a grumpy lad. He's a bit grumpy. you got to be either like mad funny or just really good at basketball. Like, yeah. Daron Sharp seems like he's mad funny, so Katie loves him. And then, like, Clax has, like, that little, like, jokey swag about him. But then, like, the other guys, like, Cam doesn't really have much personality in terms of, like, showcasing and being... Just a hooper. Like, yeah, he's just a hooper. And that's why they kind of connect. So I think they have to find a way to connect. And I think it's not the end of the world that they never connect, but it would obviously be a very helpful to have the synergy between the big three. No, yeah, look at Kobe and Shaq. You know, they were never yeah. best friends, but they found a way to just be as successful as ever. So, look, and, 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 and he also mentioned Nick as well, and we'll get to probably the other players that we um, wanted to discuss in terms of their status with the team. Ben Simmons said, physically, I feel great. He said, he said that it's the plan when asked if he's going to play the first games of the season. We also heard him speak on, obviously, the to JJ Reddick podcast, as we alluded to. These are positive things, Nick, but uh, I'm still crossing all my fingers and body parts that it does come to fruition because, you know, when he sort of spoke about, you know, the, the back injury on that podcast, I was just like, God damn, uh, that, that does not sound very pleasant uh, at all. But he looks to be in a good space. You know, we're seeing all the, the pics, we're hearing all the quotes, but, you know, it, it still has to happen. And I'm not going to you know, analyze anything until it does. Yeah, in hindsight, it would have been extremely helpful to the Nets, even from just a PR perspective, if they announced that, you know, Ben was dealing with those type of issues at that time. Do you think Ben told them, though, Nick? I don't know if Ben would have told them. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how much he did and not how, where he was in terms of his headspace at that time either, if he, you know, was feeling comfortable and confident with the team. But, like, shit, like, you would think Rich Paul would leak that for him. Like that would have helped his perspective, like to look better. And what they talked about, and like some of it being like nerve related, you know, in the JJ Reddick podcast and like the going deeper into the injury, like that was pretty bad. And like report it. Like that's just weird that, you know, like why allow him to get killed in the media? Like he got demolished for like a week, if not more. And he's still probably dealing with some of the repercussions of that. Just like that was a weird weird situation that no one reported that or at least hinted at it yeah look and and the only reason why it probably wasn't Nick is from my vantage point that what i you know construe from that is i don't think ben would have wanted that i think ben would have yeah. wanted nothing like literally just go what's the point like i'm still gonna get criticized one way or another and probably during that point as well is a point where he wasn't able to deal with any sort of information or any of the sort of media speculation or any of those sort of things because he wasn't in the mental state that he probably was now to deal with some of the bullshit that comes with yep. you know being a basketball player and being Ben Simmons in general. So my guess is that he just didn't want any of it out there and he would come out and choose to report it and choose to discuss it at a point in time which suited him. And that's alongside his former teammate, um, on a podcast, which I need to get to to watch it in full. I've watched bits and pieces of it, but I'm going to get to watch that pretty soon, maybe after we finish this pod. Yeah, that was a great podcast. I thought it was really insightful. I think JJ does a great job of asking the hard questions while still being nice and being objective and, you know, getting him to a comfortable spot. And I thought Ben, you know, it helped you build uh, understanding of who he is. And like I said, I think he's taken strides probably in like his own life and, you know, it, it was another, I thought, a solid presser for him today. You know, I think there was a little bit of nervousness, but that's okay. Like, 
that's what you expect expect a little bit of excitement new york media he was going to deal with some tough stuff but i'm excited to see him on the court he also mentioned some different things in terms of just like going the extra mile for his back to make sure it maintains health moving forward and he can be 100% all the time. He also said something along the lines like, I'm willing to do anything to help this team. And one of the things he listed was setting picks, which is really important for his potential role in the offense and the impact he can have. So great to hear that. Love to see it on the court. Yeah, I don't care about the threes that he's been taking. You know, there's always going to be that question. But the fact that I think he's actually going to shoot. I don't know how many threes, but I am confident he's going to shoot multiple threes in a Nets uniform. And, and not to say that they'll be in crucial situations, but he just seems to want to shoot them. Yeah, maybe that's a, a question for the big season preview when we discuss some big things. <laughs> how many <right>? threes? <laughs> how many threes? We should do a giveaway based on like uh, who the closest guest gets like a free Aussie Brothers T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's actually not a bad idea. But um, any other Ben Simmons thoughts, Nick, before we get to you know, TJ Warren and, and some of the other guys on the roster? Not really. Just liked his energy and looking forward to see what he can do. And hopefully he's 100% healthy moving forward. Ben 10, baby. Uh, TJ Warren, unfortunately, isn't in the same physical state as Ben Simmons because he said on his foot, right now I'm healed, but not cleared. Taking it easy. This was... A bit of a downer, if, I, if I'm going to put it yeah. you know, bluntly, Nick. Pretty much the biggest, I guess, quote-unquote negative of media day. And obviously, this is a reason why TJ Warren was signed for a vet minimum contract. Because if healthy, he's a guy that's going to make substantially more money than that. So hopefully he's just dealing with the rehab portion. Obviously, you deal with a foot injury for that long. The rehab is going to be a long process. And you're obviously going to want to make sure that you're not re-injuring that foot. So um, it's sucks but he's in a spot where there's really no pressure for tj warren to get on the court right away or play a huge workload so that's a real positive and he can almost become you know a mid-season addition if he's still getting his wind under him early in the year no and and look we uh, i'm pretty disappointed in it but like you said you know he's he's a vet minimum guy you know he's not ben simmons you know he's not gonna he could be a key crucial part of the rotation but I want it to be a key crucial part of the rotation in April, May, and June, like yep. the, October, November, like get him right. And, and look, uh, uh, it's it's a bit disappointing that we aren't going to see TJ Warren at his at his best and, and fitting and fighting early on. It, it might be, you know, uh, some weeks and months down the road, but the Nets are pretty good at, at, at ramping up. I know not many people are going to be happy to hear that phrase again on the podcast or from any Nets fan or person in general, but we're going to be getting at least some version of ramp-ups, and that also includes Seth Curry, Nick, because he said that he isn't fully cleared. He said, I'm 85 90%. I'm basically doing everything but five on five. So that's the final hurdle for him. The, the, hopefully that means Seth is, is good to go. And, and we might discuss a little bit more in our, in our guards preview when we record that one uh, in the coming days. But again, something that, like, <laughs> how long are these injuries taking? Yeah, I mean... It's tough for Seth. Obviously, he was in the postseason, got the surgery pretty close, but ankle stuff is tough because I think it's just like the level of rehab and then getting into making sure, you know, it's good for all types of contacts. So there's not, you know, a re-injury um, with that type of situation. But hopefully he's good for opening night. I mean, opening night is in less than a month. At this point, we're recording on September 26th and what opening night is October 19th, I believe. So he's got a good chunk of time. Maybe he's not 100% and maybe he, you know, comes in a couple weeks later. But at the end of the day, that's the the positive of having depth on this team. And I think he'll be 100% at some point. It just might not be within the next few weeks. Yeah, there. Are, um, I tried to look up and find where the report was that he got the, uh, the surgery on the left ankle. May 9. So we are June, July, August, September, like four, over four months since that surgery, Nick. And I th- yeah. Seth came to Australia um, yeah. in, in that time as well. So I know flying isn't necessarily uh, the best thing for you know, some f- version of recovery, but you know he probably did it on, on a private jet to be totally fair as well. But yeah, it it seems to me that I, I'm I'm frustrated because the the thing that I I've said time and time again and always when it pertains to this next team, it is going to be health and availability of their yep. players. That is going to be the big determining factor of where they are going to be successful. You know, is Kim Rand going to get injured? Is Ben Simmons going to be okay? Is Kyrie Irving going to be available for 65-plus games? And that now includes our role players. 
look, Joe Harris and Edmund Sumner, Royce O'Neill, Marquise Morris, these sort of guys. Yeah, it's good to hear, especially with Joe Harris, that he's 100%. He reaffirmed that that today as well. I guess if we we did this off-wax, Nick, and I thought it would be a, a fun exercise to bring to the pod and maybe those listening can play along at home as well. In terms of we, Edmund Sumner said that he's 100% now uh, as well. Um, he said that to, to Nets Media today too, coming off the Achilles injury. Edmund Sumner, Seth Curry, TJ Warren, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons. Oh, I've got five names. That's basically your starting five. Rank those five in terms of confidence you have for long-term availability throughout the 22-23 season. So, like, who's going to play the most games, basically? Yeah, I think I'm confident Joe Harris will be pretty healthy throughout the year. He kind of described his surgery. He said the first one he received wasn't necessarily the full procedure. It was more more so a short-term fix to get him back on the court for the season and that they knew the big, quote-unquote, big surgery was always a possibility. So it, I think uh, some of the reporting on that, and obviously they might not be fully truthful with us, but at the same time, it gives you a little bit more confidence that there wasn't necessarily a bad surgery. Cause as soon as you heard the word bad surgery, that's when you're like, damn, like this, this could be screwed up long-term, but it seems like Joe is really confident. He's going to get back to his level on the court. He's been very durable as a net. So I'd probably have him at number one. Um, Ben, obviously I think I feel pretty confident with him. He has the most to prove. His injury is serious, but not as serious as Edmund Sumner, who's coming off a torn Achilles and is, you know, an athletic guard. So I'd probably have him third. Then I'd have Seth Curry and then TJ Warren last because TJ Warren's been out for a very long time. And Seth gives you a little concern. Obviously, Curry's and their ankles haven't necessarily always been super positive. Look, I would probably go with the same list, but probably swap Sumner with Simmons just because of. Ben Simmons, I'm, I'm, I'm back injuries almost make me feel as wearisome as as an Achilles injury does. They're, they're just not something to be trifled with. And because of the extensive history that Ben Simmons has had with his, and and maybe you look towards the fact that Kevin Rand coming off his Achilles and you sort of make that comparison point, look, Edmund Sumner isn't going to contribute as meaningfully as, as, as Kevin Rand did, but he came off a, an Achilles injury and maybe there's, you know, it's, not as serious as what Ben Simmons is doing. Who knows? We, we don't know that, but... They're I pretty much of, in the same tier, like Ben yeah, yeah. and Edmund Sumner, for me. Exactly, exactly. Um, final quote I wanted to bring, Nick, before you had any final thoughts was uh, Royce O'Neal saying that I'm trying to be a defensive leader. Everyone's fallen in love with Royce O'Neal. We spoke about him pretty extensively on the Wings pod, and the discussion there was certainly worthwhile, so check out that episode. I'm just scroll down in the archives a little bit where we talked about, I'm not going to say the stats, but there are some alarming stats that relate to Royce O'Neal last year. Hearing this, Nick, does it make you, does it warm you with, fill you with a bit more confidence, I guess? Yeah, I think we already had confidence he was going to kind of come in with this mentality based off of some of the stuff we've heard from him uh, over the summer and different, you know, media type stuff. So it's great to hear the Nets need this. They need guys to take defensive ownership, and he's a guy with that capability out there. And obviously with Ben being here, Ben talked about the team being pretty good defensively this year. I think he actually said he thought they'd be a good defensive team, which we'll wait and see on that note. But uh, Royce, this is the mentality you want from your role players. And Joe Harris had a, a great quote that was not during his press, it was during his yes interview that I happened to just catch talking about having guys on a team that understand their role and understand like having self-awareness in the NBA. And he said, this team just has a lot of those guys. Royce O'Neal is one of those guys. He understands the role that he plays on a championship team and on a winning team and what he needs to do. And that buying and that mentality, I think is going to rub guys the right way. And just the style in which he plays. And obviously we know defense is majority effort. He's already vocally committing effort. Yeah. And look, hopefully he bounces back in a big way. Again, check out the, the Wings pod for our analysis of not only him, but the, the rest of the guys we'll be bringing out. The rest of the positions going forward in a in a jam-packed content off-season for, for the buzz, we'll be jumping into the rest of the positions, probably a mailbag if we have a bit of time, and obviously uh, the big kahuna in the season preview, as well as talking uh, some of the preseason games as well. So. The Jack, content do you want to just touch one more, the Sean Marks quote about Dayron Sharp and Nick Claxton? Yes, yes, I forgot to, I scrolled past it. So this is a good one, Nick, because it was funnily enough what I said before the pod. I'm like, this is the one that... <laughs> yeah, this is your favorite the, one. <laughs> and I completely forget it when we start recording because, look, it's a long Google Doc, this one. It's it's almost a couple pages long. 
I asked about asked, Alex Schiffer asked Sean Marks about the roster. He said he wants to give Nick Claxton and Daron Sharp uh, a shot down low before adding more help there, it seems. He also, uh, Schiffer also added those thinking Dwight might come through, can relax for now. Um, look, I've said this before. The difference between Daron Sharp and Dwight Howard, Daron Sharp and LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, I, I, I've said, like, you know, give Daron Sharp, you know, 10, 15 minutes uh, here or there as a, as a backup guy against the lesser teams. Give him a little bit more of a role. Um, you know, you, and Ben Simmons also said today as well that if Clax needs a rest, those guys are developing what seems to be a pretty strong friendship and, and partnership. What did Clax know? call him his evil twin, right, on Instagram? Yeah, or something? yeah, yeah. So there's a there's some good vibes happening there, with, with the, but obviously it is preseason and, and we'll see how it pans out on the court, which is much more important. So, but yeah, I I, I like this from Sean Marks because there isn't a great impetus for it right now. But hey, if we see both of these guys and, and Ben Simmons as our front court combination and they get cooked by Jokic and Bede or Davis or any other superstar big and it's like, okay, well, those teams are going to be the ones that we're going to be coming up against you know, pretty consistently, especially when it comes to the Sixers, that's when you go, all right, we need Cody Zeller, who I think already signed with the team. Yeah, he signed, who did he sign with? Uh... It does. It's wherever the Zeller brothers or the the, the Plumley brothers are, they're, they're somewhere in the world playing basketball for high levels of money, and I won't understand it because they're just big white guys who can rebound a, a little bit. Um, Sometimes that, being seven foot just pays off. <laughs> it does indeed, Nick. You know, unfortunately, us six foot two, three, four guys uh, don't necessarily get all the the comeuppance. But what are your thoughts on this? Are, are you more on my side of thinking where it's just like, yeah, I'm I'm happy to hear about Sharp being given a shot here, or you're like. Trade for Miles Turner right now. No, I love it. This is kind of the mindset I think you and I have had after they didn't sign anyone in the initial wave. It's just like, wait and see. Nothing's really great out there right now. Make you know, See what you have in Sharp and Clax and what they can really excel in and then go from there and then you know, find the talent that you need for the team. Obviously, neither guy is going to magically become a stretch, stretch big, but they might do some things better than you anticipated going to the season and then I'll give you some flexibility or also allow you to determine if I need to acquire a starting level center or if I need to acquire a backup level center or if I need to acquire a closing level center, there's a lot of different variables. So to me, this is the correct approach. Yeah. Time will tell. Uh, ultimately, you know, you've got games until February, March where, you know, the trade deadline and then the buyout market will be able to affect, you know, you know Blake Griffin was gotten on the buyout market, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And he had a, a pretty positive impact for the Nets in that first season. And it was huge that first year. I mean, that was a great energy boost too from like a locker room perspective and just all kind of checked all the boxes. Just to bring it back out there, Blake Griffin is still available, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so look. I mean, you never know if there's an injury or something, but like we've talked about, I think Blake doesn't choose to be here, but at the end of the day, he hasn't signed anywhere, so he might not be very picky. And yeah, he's hanging, he, he still seems to be a good mates with everyone. And, you know, look, I'll keep being the, the Blake Griffin stand on this podcast for, for, for weeks and hopefully not years to come, but you know at least for now. But any final thoughts, Nick, before we, I guess, move forward with the, the rest of our previews and, and other off-season content going forward? No, just that Mark Keith Morris is a tough guy. You know? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> He's going to bring that to the Nets. But uh, I think he could uh, low-key have some positive things. I think Kevin Durant alluded to him you know, having different options and choosing the Nets. Mark Keith also mentioned that, like, he had an option to come here a few years ago and he probably should have came and he didn't. I think he ended up signing with the Lakers and they won a championship, so he can't be too upset anyways. But uh, other than that, you know, the vibes were better than I anticipated. He also you know, said you know, a couple more things on Mark Morris. Again, we've covered literally probably every yeah. player on the roster here today. Guys, we haven't so. touched on uh, Kessler yet, but we're, we're probably not going to get into it. Kessler, just one note on Kessler before you put out your marquee stuff. <laughs> we are going deep on the media day part. Kessler just said if he's going to get any minutes, he's definitely going to have to earn them. I love that mentality from a young player. Obviously, big Kessler fans here. Absolutely. Kess Express, baby. Um, but on Marquee Morris, there's a couple other things. He said that he was TJ Warren's um, you know, yeah. was rookie. So uh, there's Warren a, was his rookie, yeah. Warren was his rookie, so there's a little bit of a kinship there. And he also mentioned that the Nets showed him the most interest this offseason. So there was clearly a desire there. And I think I remember reading that Joe Sy 
yeah, so we'll, yeah. Was, big, was big in that as well. So Joe Sly showing more love for Markeith Morris than Kyrie Irving. Who would have thought? Yeah, I mean, that's that's incredible. I mean, good for Markeith Morris getting a call from ownership to sign on a vet minimum deal that's not even fully guaranteed, but whatever works, right? Um, I mean, credit to Joe Sly for doing something and having an impact. At the end of the day, that's, I guess, all we can ask for. But Jack, always a pleasure. Hopefully this is the start of a championship run for the Nets. We're going to be jumping to plenty of stuff, like you said, but make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.